Exodus chapter 20, and we're just going to be reading one verse, but even though it's just one verse, it's still worthwhile for us to make sure that we look at God's word this morning, so I encourage you to do that with me. I'm just going to make a quick change to something. Sermon prep apparently doesn't end until the sermon is done. All right. Okay, are you in Exodus chapter 20? And we are at verse 7. So we'll just read this passage and pray. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. All right, would you pray with me? Father, before we consider the word, we also want to pray for our little ones that are going down to the nursery. You would bless their time as they play and as they learn and as they continue to grow. Father, you know our deepest desire for our kids is that they would know Jesus. And so we pray that even um, on this particular Sunday, something might happen that would be part of a building block to bring people, to bring these little ones, Lord, specifically, um, into your family because of what Jesus has done. We thank you, Lord, as we come to your word, that you've given us your word freely, that we might read it this morning. But, Father, we also, in reading this passage, want to be careful not to take up anything in vain, Lord. We want to give proper weight and glory and respect and honor and reverence and all those things where it is due, and it is due no more, nowhere else greater than as we look at your word. As we thank you, Lord, for the gift that you've spoken to us. That though you are not a God we can see, you have decided to be the God that we hear. We want to be, in response to that, your people who listen. So Lord, help us as we consider our obedience to this commandment, to consider first that Christ has obeyed on our behalf. And as Robert Murray McShane said, for every look at our sin, let us take one, or sorry, every look at our sin, let us take ten looks at Christ. We want to exalt his name today. Would you help us in that? Grant us your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So you're wearing uh, name tags today for a couple of reasons. One would be um, probably the most pertinent one to us right now is that we've had several groups of different visitors throughout our time, and maybe some of these visitors you haven't met. Uh, name tags are a super easy icebreaker conversation starter, too, when you just want to say, hey, I haven't met you yet. Nick or whoever you are. Um, we might do it again in the future um, and different Sundays as, as it might serve us, but also it kind of is a little bit fitting this Sunday to wear name tags, isn't it? Right? To kind of identify ourselves with something visible uh, in light of looking at this God who has remained invisible and yet has also made his name known to us and made his name known to us in a way that we ought not Think lightly of it. So important is his name that he gives us this third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then along with it comes the reason. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We're going to talk about what that means to take someone's name in vain. And particularly to take the name of the Lord in vain more specifically. But before we do that, I want to offer a couple of names to you. And ask you in your minds what comes to mind when you hear names like Marcus Brutus or Judas Iscariot or Benedict Arnold. 
Is there a word that links these three names together in your minds at all? Or maybe two of them, and you go, it must be the others. Or maybe even just one that you say, there's one thing I know about that one guy, and it has to be the thing that connects them to the others. What word comes to your mind? Perfect. That's exactly what I had written down. These are traitors. Isn't it kind of unfortunate to consider that your name might go down in history for no other significance, but that you were a betrayer of some significant historical figure. That is what the name Marcus Brutus stands for in in all of history now. And you know Julius Caesar's comment upon his moment of assassination and realizing that even his son was involved in this process. What did he turn and say to Brutus? Do you remember? Yes. At two Brute. Of course, with Judas Iscariot, we know what Jesus said at the moment of his betrayal. Would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And then Benedict Arnold, I didn't find a specific quote with him, but boy. I mean, of these names, the representation for American history, the one that you know as an American, if you know anything about the Revolutionary War, is Benedict Arnold was the traitor of traitors. He was probably the greatest commander under General Washington's lead, and thus became the greatest betrayer. He was uh, injured um, before Washington crossed the Delaware, And Washington then, to give him a place of honor, decided to make him the governor of Philadelphia, the military governor of Philadelphia. Well, there's where he met his wife, who was the daughter of a loyalist, that is somebody who was loyal to the British side. And through the influence of his father-in-law, he became one of the greatest betrayers, giving away war secrets and tactics and secret information that America wanted Britain to know nothing about. And so we look at these names, Marcus Brutus, Judas Iscariot, Benedict Arnold, And yes, traitor is what comes to mind, right? There are a few things worse, although they are there. But to think of someone who would betray carries such a great weight. Now this, of course, has nothing to do with the character of God, does it? And yet, when we think about God, I wonder if there is a word that sticks out in your mind when you think about the name Jesus Christ, for instance. Is there something about him that you, upon hearing his name or reading his name or even just thinking on it, that something immediately comes to mind you say, this is what I know about Jesus. A.W. Tozer, a preacher from the Christian Missionary Alliance, in fact, said that what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's something that's essential to us as we think about taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. Because we would know that if we would associate the name of Jesus Christ along this group of Marcus, Brutus, Judas Iscariot, and Benedict Arnold, that he wouldn't fit in at all. In fact, if I gave you that list and included Jesus Christ in there, you would be baffled. What in the world could all of these people have in common? Because there's one who is so contrary to that. And perhaps that is one of the most essential things we ought to think of when we think of the name of Jesus. That more than anything, he is so vastly different than us. And yet what we're learning in the Gospel of John is that he who is the very word of God came and dwelt among us, taking on flesh and living alongside us. So much so that as he grew up and as he lived his normal life before his ministry, people would hardly take a second glance at him because he seemed to fit in so much. And yet he was vastly different 
than anyone else in all of history. So what does the name of our God stir up in your thinking? I'm going to ask you again at the end of the sermon, so keep that in mind. Well, as we think about this commandment and thinking about our thoughts, thinking about our emotions, we also have to move towards what our words actually portray about who God is, what they communicate about what we believe about God and what we believe about his name. Throughout church history, throughout the history of Israel as well, uh, the way, the immediate way of sort of following this commandment was in a way to just sort of avoid it entirely. For many priests, it would have just simply been a matter of saying, hey, it says you shall not take up the name of the Lord your God in vain. Let's just cut off the in vain part and just not take up the name at all. Because if we don't do it, we don't have to worry about doing it wrong, right? I mean, this is like the excuse you give your mom growing up. It's like, well, I know I'm going to mess up the laundry, so you might as well just do it for me, right? And then maybe you even do it kind of on purpose a little bit to say, see, I told you so. We just kind of avoid the topic entirely. Now, as a Christian, can we do that? Can we just say, I'll just avoid ever mentioning Jesus Christ or God or Yahweh or Adonai or any of the names that we see throughout Scripture? Can we avoid saying his name entirely and still be counted as obedient? Certainly not. Our theme for this year is this word testify. It's kind of hard to testify to someone if you don't mention the name of that person, isn't it? Well, throughout the Old Testament, of course, this, this name, Yahweh, yod Hey vav Hey in the Hebrew, was replaced um, in most places in the Old Testament with simply the word Adonai, where you see Lord in all capitals, and you see this even in our verse today. Adonai replaces this in order to avoid entirely um, taking up the name of the Lord our God, whether for va- in vain or, or for good. And this kind of, in some ways pictures the history of Israel. In a lot of ways, as you think about what God has designed Israel to be, we see it in Exodus 19, verse 6. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is what their purpose was. That in verse 8, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. But in regards to Israel, they would be unique. They would be set apart. And of course, we see throughout the rest of Scripture that their job was to be a city on a hill that would be proclaiming the name of their God, Yahweh, and saying, this is who the one true God is. Worship Him, know Him, love Him, adore Him, sing songs to Him, offer your lives to Him. He is our Savior, right? These kind of things were supposed to be coming out of the mouths of people who were a part of God's covenant nation. And yet, largely, it seems as though they just kind of said, hey, we're not going to mess it up if we don't even try. Now, what's worse? Think about this in a classroom setting, particularly. Because this happened to me so many times when I was teaching middle school. Where I would say, get your homework out. I'm going to come around and see if you did it. And really, for me, homework, that's all it was. It's like, did you do it? Did you make an attempt? And are you making an attempt right now? Because that doesn't really count. But did you go home and work? I rarely did I actually grade homework assignments. I just wanted to see if they did them, right? And then the test, that was for where we actually see if you understand it. So I would come around to the desks and I would see empty pages and I would say, you know, it would be like that parable of the talents, right? It's like, what did you do with your talent? Well, I hid it in the ground because I knew you were a hard man, right? This is how, teach, this is how my students taught me, or taught me, treated me sometimes. They did teach me a lot. But oftentimes students would kind of take it and say, hey, look, I knew I wasn't going to get it right, so I didn't even try. I didn't understand it, so I didn't even make an attempt. How long did you look at it? Like five minutes. 
That's it? Really? You didn't ask me? You didn't, when you left class that day, you didn't say, boy, Pastor Vian, I really don't understand this at all. Could you help me out? What would I possibly say to that? No, sorry, you've got to figure it out on your own. What am I, your teacher? We know that it is worse for us to just entirely avoid obedience than to make an attempt at obeying, right? And yet this is largely what we do sometimes, particularly as it comes to sharing our testimony. It might be in our minds that sharing the gospel with somebody is such a daunting task. It's far bigger than we could ever do well. So maybe just don't do it. Maybe we occupy ourselves with other things and let that take the primacy in our minds so that when it comes to the question of, hey, have you shared your faith with anyone recently? We say, oh, yeah, you know what? A, I'm not very good at that. And B, I just haven't had the time to. I'm preaching to myself here too, y'all. Well, our call from this passage today is for the people of God to declare the name of God in line with the fullness of all he is to declare the name of God in line with the fullness of all he is. Because this is the opposite of taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. In vain means in emptiness, to remove the weight of it. What you see in these commandments, and I forgot again to get this image up here, but you see so far in our progress that our first two commandments have had to do with our thought lives. You shall have no other God before me. In your mind and in your heart, don't put someone in the place of God right next to him. Secondly, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. So in your mind, don't create some false idea of who God is. So our first two commandments had to do with our thoughts. Now we're coming to our words. What do our words have to do with worship? They have everything to do. You all have, if you sang the songs at the very least, you have all proclaimed something with your mouths in your worship today. So we go from thoughts to words. Next week when we go to the fourth commandment, we will see deeds and then the uh, pattern uh, reverses and we'll see deeds and then words and then the lastly thoughts for the last part of the Ten Commandments. It's a very interesting structure. But today we're talking about words. That as we declare the name of God, we ought to do so as we talk about him, as we talk to him as well. We ought to do that in line with all of who he is. That might sound like a pretty overwhelming task, doesn't it? To make sure that our words about and to God line up and match up perfectly, that they represent and reflect who God is without any error at all. Well, who in the world could possibly do that right? I mean, this is... You know, again, behind the curtains for, for preaching a sermon, you read this commandment, you think about these kind of things, and you're like, oh my goodness. There's this other passage that says, where words are many, sin is not absent. And I say a lot of words on Sunday morning. It's kind of overwhelming. Have I rightly declared who God is? Have I taken up his name accurately or not? And then, of course, we go out into the world and we are faced with people who need to know who he is. Sometimes we just say, you know what, maybe, maybe we won't do this. Well, why does God exalt his name so high? Why is his name such an important priority? Psalm 138 verse 2 is one that perhaps comes to your mind. The psalmist says, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. The name of God, the word of God, expressing the character of God, expressing the actions of God. Listen again to the beginning of verse 2. 
I give thanks to your name for what? Your steadfast love and faithfulness. To his people, he never wavers in his love, in his faithfulness, in his kindness, in his goodness to you. There's never a moment that he stops. And so the psalmist is moved to give praise to him, to give thanks to him. And the reason for that is because you have exalted above all things your name and your word. If there is anything that should move us to worship, that should move us emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, all those things, it should be the name of Jesus Christ. This is what the psalmist says. We relate to our God by name. And that's based on His spoken word to us. Because again, He's exalted above all things His name and His word. How do we understand something about the value of the name of God? We understand it by looking at His word, by by hearing from Him what He said about Himself, about His previous acts, and about His ongoing plan to redeem all of His people and to make all things new. So our relating to God by name is based on the spoken word to us. In salvation, God's people also take his name upon themselves. Do you know what Christian means? What's that? Christ. Yeah, or, or little Christ most literally, right? Little Christ. So we are actually, as you say, if, if you had that wonderful opportunity at any point where somebody said, what religion are you or what do you believe or what's the most, you know, if you had that opportunity to say, I am a Christian, You are actually taking the name of the Lord upon yourself, identifying yourself with Him on a deeper level than anything else that you might identify yourself. This is why, again, perhaps we need to stop our conversations from going so quickly to, hi, my name's Nick, and what do you do? What's your job? What's your work? Where do you live? These questions are good for finding out things about people. But wouldn't it be interesting if we started saying things like, Hi, my name's Nick. What's your name? Oh, okay. Uh, Ross, what are you all about? What if we started asking those kind of questions? First of all, people would be like, That's a really weird question. Just ask me what my job is. That's an easy answer. But what are we all about? Maybe if you ask somebody that, they might ask you. And you might have an easy opportunity to testify to the name of Christ. So his name holds the same place of exaltation as his word because his name bears the weight of all he is and all he's done. Three things um, that come to mind as we think about exalting his name. First of all, exalting God's name builds up the believer's relationship with God. Exalting the name of God builds up the believer's relationship with God. Psalm 910 says, Those who know your name put their trust in you. We must say that the negative is also true. Those who do not put their trust in you don't know your name. That's not to say, well, no, I know the name. It's J-E-S-U-S. I get that. But do you know the name? Do you know the weight of the name is what the psalmist is talking about. He says again in verse 10, For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Has God forsaken you, church? No. How can you say no to that? Because you've known his name, you've known him, and you've known him to have steadfast love and faithfulness to you over and over and over again. Is he forsaking you right now? Do you ever feel like perhaps he is? And it is so often our need to look back on his past faithfulness so that when we look at today and we wonder, how in the world, Lord, are you working in this? How are you showing me your steadfast love? I can't see it. I don't understand it. If we look back and say, has he ever been faithless to me before? 
we should always be able to say, no, he's always been faithful. His steadfast love and faithfulness must never let me down. So exalting God's name builds up the believer's relationship with God. How is it that we can trust in him day by day? Because we know his name. We exalt his name. We make much of his name with our words. Exalting God's name, secondly, unifies believers in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. This is the verse that we probably need to read at any moment that we're disagreeing or arguing with one another. In the name of Jesus, be united. Agree. Let there not be divisions among you. What is it that unites us? It's the name of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Well, but we're an evangelical free church and we all live in Lima. Yeah, those things are all important. There's a lot of things that we can say. We have similarities. We have things that, you know, we have common interests. We have common challenges. We have common situations of life. But the thing that unites God's church is the name of Jesus Christ because we are His church. Thirdly, exalting God's name empowers the believer's testimony of God. Exodus 9.16, we already read. For this purpose, oh no, we read verse (laughs) 6. Exodus 9.16, you can look over at it if you still have your Bibles open to 20. Well, a few pages back, of course. But God says this to his people. For this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Do you want to be raised up by God? Do you want to see his power? Focus on his main goal, proclaiming his name in all the earth. I hope that as we have moved so far, you've seen that this commandment that says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain is so essential to our testimony and to our daily lives even because the name of God carries much weight. Think about your own name for a second. When you think about your name and you think about the roles that you play, the relationships that you have, the jobs that you do, your accomplishments, all of those kinds of things, you in your mind may be able to give a certain amount of weight to your own name, but when you think of someone else, you think of someone like a mom or a dad or somebody who's been really influential in your life, and you think about that that person's name, And if you have that person's name in your mind right now, and I said, you know what, that name, that's nothing. That doesn't mean anything. Well, you should be struck offended a little bit, don't you think? What do you, no, you don't know this person at all. If you think that this person, if you're thinking of a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa or a neighbor or a teacher or a doctor or somebody who is born weight in your life has been meaningful by something that they are or something that they've done, for me to just take that name and say, Who ever heard of that guy? It doesn't mean anything. She's never done anything that significant. Should be like a little bit of offense to that, right? So it is with the name of the Lord. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is to empty it of all that the name of God means. So here then is our problem. Our hearts are the problem in this. Because it is our hearts that diminish the holiness of God And so our mouths bear his name in emptiness. 
It's not just simply a matter of downloading a script for the day and I happen to be carrying the name of the Lord my God in vain through this script that I'm rolling through. But rather, in our hearts, we are tempted daily to take away the weight from the name of the Lord our God, to put it somewhere else. And every time we do that, we open ourselves up to actually speak his name in a way that dishonors him. Why is the heart so important? You'll be familiar with this as well. Luke 6.45, Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you want to know somebody's heart? I mean, how many times do we say, well, I don't know their heart. God alone knows their heart. There's something we can know about a person's heart, though, by their words, right? Now, oftentimes those words can be fabricated and manufactured and can, in fact, be contrary to the true value of that person's heart. But you know when you know somebody and you can tell in their conversation that the things that they're saying reflect where their treasure truly is. Because again, in another place, Jesus says, where your heart is there, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now, this command is put in the negative, as we've talked about the last couple weeks. I'll quote again from Alec Matir, who says, The negative form strives to meet the strong current of evil in the human heart. It may be that as you look at this commandment, you think, Man, ever since I've been a little kid, there has never been an oh my God, or using Jesus Christ's name as a cuss word that has ever escaped my mouth. And so I'm good on this one. Right? It may just be that we think through this and we say, no, this one is, is not that big of a deal. Maybe again, we might be ones who just say, I just make sure I never say the letters G-O-D or J-E-S-U-S in a sentence ever to make sure that I never do it. But Mateer would say that your heart is often overcome by a strong current of evil. A strong current of evil. A, a pressure that your sinful nature that's fighting against that new creation that you are that wants to devalue something of God's name. Not just, again, not just for the sake of saying, hey, let's, let's just make this name mud and make it mean nothing. But rather, that as we do that, as we diminish the name of the Lord our God in our hearts, our relationship crumbles. Our testimony disappears entirely. Our unity with our brothers and sisters is gone because we have emptied the name of the Lord our God in our hearts. Let's talk about four ways that we might take the weight out of his name. First of all, again, the simple one, sometimes in order to express surprise or even disappointment or anger, we might use the name God or Jesus or even an oh my Lord or something along those lines that takes that name and makes it just a casual thing that we throw out there, just like saying, oh, fiddlesticks or you know whatever other words that we might use to exclaim something. We make God's name a part of that list. This is perhaps, again, the, the simpler expression of this. Secondly, we often take the weight out of the name of God when we superficially use it to validate our plans or desires. This is a tough one. I've been thinking about this all week long. But when we superficially insert God's name to validate our own plans or desires. I'm talking about when we say things like, God told me, God showed me, God opened my eyes, God revealed to me, God opened a door for me. When we say those things, it may in fact be true. But is there a chance 
that that's not really accurate. Has there ever been something in your life where you said, God told me I know I need to do this, and then the opportunity just totally disappeared and it was never even a thing? God told me to tell you something. I mean, wow, those are heavy words. But sometimes in our Christian circles, we throw that around as if that's just the lingo. And the problem with this, again, is that we're taking the weightiness out of who God is, out of his name, when we throw it around as though we could just say, hey, I was shaving this morning, and God gave me a revelation about such and such a thing that I need to tell you. John MacArthur has this great book called Corinthian Chaos that I really recommend to you if you're ever doing a study in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians. But he uses this illustration of a pastor who said that um, every morning while I'm shaving or brushing my teeth, God comes and speaks to me. And MacArthur's like, if that really happened, how in the world do you ever have a shaven face or have your teeth brushed? Every time people run into God in the Bible, what happens? They go, oh, hey, you want to chat a little bit while I'm brushing my teeth? No. They fall on their faces before him because of his holiness. So to throw around flippantly for the sake of validating our plans or our desires or even our own spiritual prowess, this is taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. We shouldn't so whimsically and simply say, God told me something. I mean, look, he told me something too. If you want to end that sentence with, he told me something, and I read it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, and it was, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Yes, he did tell you that. But as we see, uh, Phil Riken says it so well. He says, an inward leaning is not an authoritative word. When we say God told me something, I'm, I'm bar- putting all the weight and authority on this one moment that may not even be accurate. When really we ought to just say, you know, I, f- I feel led this way. I'm trusting the Lord in this regard. Those are not wrong things to say at all. In fact, they are far more faithful and open to the fact that the plans that I think God has for me tomorrow could be a hundred times different than I ever imagined. And that the day that I say, I know for sure that God wants me to be something, do something, or go somewhere, I may be putting myself in risk of taking his name in vain saying that actually this is not true. So why is it not enough to just simply say, I'm trusting him. I'm trusting God in this area of my life. I'm I'm trying to seek him for this solution. Those kind of things are good to say. Thirdly, a third way that we take the weight out of his name is through showy prayers. Um, Talk about a temptation every Sunday morning, right? I come up here and I have to pray And I think, A, I don't want to just say the same thing I say every single Sunday, which I probably end up doing that more often than I'd like. But B, my solution to that then becomes, okay, what is something that I could say that could really, really just wow everybody and make them say, that's a pastoral prayer, right? That's a temptation every single Sunday. Not to just simply speak from the heart and to speak from the word and to to just commune with my father and enjoy talking with him freely as he's called me to. But to think, "Mm, I need to do something to verify, to validate myself. And so showy prayers come out all too often in, in Christian circles. We're in that Bible study, we're in that prayer meeting. And we want to fill our words with lots of Christian-y kind of things. And so we even throw the name of Jesus in there a lot, even sometimes just to fill blank spaces as we're praying. We ought not do that. Prayers ought to be careful. Being slow is okay. Thoughtful and sincere. 
Jesus warns us that the Pharisees, he says of the Pharisees, that they believe they'll be heard for their many words. We shouldn't be like them. Lastly, a fourth reason, fourth way that we take the weight out of his name is when we have empty recitation rather than conviction in our singing. Now, this is a hard one because a lot of us are not really confident about our singing, are we? So that's why I sit in the pink chairs instead of standing on the stage, right? Like we, we don't volunteer our singing in any other context. And then Sunday morning, we come in and we go, okay, well, if I know the song or if, if, if I really like the song or, or those kind of things, all those things come into our minds. Or maybe we just say, hey, look, I know I'm supposed to be singing, so I'm just going to do it. The Lord would rather have you stand or sit and observe and listen to your brothers and sisters singing than for you to just emptily recite words. Okay? So when we come to this last song that we're going to do after communion, maybe you might need to take that moment and just say, okay, I'm not going to jump in right away. Right? We're a small church, so I hope most of you will sing. But on a regular Sunday, don't just emptily recite words singing to God or singing about Him if your heart is not truly in it. Or, and rather, and this is what I mean by your heart being truly in it, I want to clarify this too. Because, oh my goodness, how many Sundays do I come in and start singing and I go, my heart's not in this. I'm not interested in worshiping the Lord. And what is my only buoy, my only uh, life preserver in this instance is to say, Lord, I want to want to sing to you, right? I want to want that. It's, it's the, the father who comes to Jesus and says, my son is possessed by a demon and no one can cast him out. And Jesus says, this kind can only come out by much prayer and fasting. And he talks about faith. And then the father says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I can sing. Help my unsinging. Help my heart that is away from me. I don't want to be like in Isaiah where he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And again, this is what we're talking about when we come to this third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, because in our hearts is where this starts. And then out of our mouths speak our hearts. So where are you? Is there one of these things in our problem with bearing the name of the Lord? Is it a matter of expressing surprise or disappointment, throwing around his name to say that you're excited about something or disappointed about something? Is there a matter of superficial validation? Are, are you somebody who likes to say, hey, the Lord told me this thing, or I know this because God revealed to me? Are you somebody who's tempted by having showy prayers that people might be impressed by? Or is there a matter of singing that we need to deal with this morning? This is important because, again, in verse 7, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who take his name in vain. It's an interesting phrase that's going on in here because we are holding his name with no weight. We are holding his name in emptiness. And God says, conversely, I will not hold you in emptiness for doing that. I will not act as though what you have done means nothing. It's an important thing for us to handle. It's not simply a matter of cleaning up our talk. If it was, then again, let's just never mention his name ever again. So much for testifying. Alistair Begg says that since these commandments are spiritual, they go to the heart and require from us an obedience that is internal. God is not interested in our ability to maintain an external legal observance of his law by means of self-effort. Don't ever especially today, but don't ever leave church and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to do better about that thing. I'm going to make it happen. You're not. 
And that's not what he's interested in. Not behavior modification. We either need to repent or retreat, and there's nowhere to run. So, we turn to Christ. Christ who is the Word, perfectly bearing the name of His Father, and also perfectly bearing the guilt of those who did not bear the name of His Father rightly, but took it in vain. So, in Him, we now freely come under His name. We can freely embrace the name Christian and say, I belong to Christ because of what He's done. John 17.26 says this, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be be in them and I in them. This is the end of Jesus' high priestly prayer, and it has echoes back to these Ten Commandments. I have made known to them your name. And listen to the second part again. I will continue to make it known. Are you learning again the name of the Lord your God today? And will you learn it again tomorrow? Will you hear the voice of Christ in his word saying, I'm making the name, the character, the weight, the glory, the beauty, the majesty of the name of my Father. I'm making it known to you by what I've done at the cross to show justice and mercy meeting perfectly. Will you hear that today? And then will you hear it tomorrow? Do you know Jesus' desire is to continually make his Father's name known to you again and again and again? And do you know that that is not simply reciting 1 plus 1 equals 2, 1 plus 1 equals 2, and going through your addition and subtraction and multiplication and division tables and all those kinds of things? It's not just data download. It is strengthening your relationship with the name of that person, with that person who bears that name. In his love, God sent his son. Because of that steadfast love that his name represents, he sends his son to make his name known perfectly. God himself in the flesh to dwell with us. Just as God met Moses at Mount Sinai in thunder and lightning and a cloud of smoke, so terrifying that everyone looked at it and said, Moses, you've got to go by yourself. Now Christ has come. The word made flesh and dwelt among us as if he was sitting in the chair next to you, bearing all the same glory and weight and holiness that that voice on the mountain bore. Was there ever a one who spoke more purely of the name of his father? Bearing the name, the son of God, flawlessly? You know, you are called to be a child of God. And yet our wanderings call that into question day by day, doesn't it? And yet Christ is the one who was the perfect spotless lamb, the son of God, perfectly obedient in every way, bearing the name of his father. And that is what he has saved us into. That that very sentence that I just shared with you now covers you and describes you. Not because you've done it, but because he's done it on your behalf. You are now counted as one who rightly bears the name of the Lord your God if you are in Christ. He's spoken to us concerning the truth of God and his work, and he has also spoken on our behalf as our intercessor and mediator of the new covenant. Hebrews 12.24 says Jesus is the mediator, the one, the go-between of the new covenant, God's new promise, God's new plan for relating to his people through Christ. And the writer says, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
Abel who cried out for justice, Christ's blood cries out, justice is satisfied. At the cross, Christ was treated as a blasphemer. He was not held guiltless as this law promises. The wrath that was stirred up for your vainly taking on the name of the Lord time and time again has fallen on his son. He's, rose, he's risen from that grave, vindicated as the one who bore the name of his father perfectly, not in vain. And so we in him are raised to newness of life so that now we can freely not say, I'm not going to hide from saying the name of Jesus, but I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. Because from my heart that is now being renewed and is being shown the love, the steadfast love of God, the enduring faithfulness of God, now from that heart overflows praise to the one that has saved me and made me so. Isaiah 57, 15 says, thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Holy means set apart, different, other, unique. He says this, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Are you lowly and contrite this morning? Is the Lord speaking to you at, your, at the place of your heart about perhaps how you've borne his name in vain and yet he is now here to revive your heart and to let you bear the, the glorious weight of his name? You know, Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but he doesn't say his name isn't weighty. He doesn't say his name isn't heavy. There's a glory to speaking the name of Christ that we now can share in. We're called to take this holy name of Jesus and make that our testimony to the world around us. So in Christ, we're empowered to lift up the name of the Holy One for praise and for testimony in all areas of life. Listen to Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Brush your teeth in the name of the Lord Jesus. Clean up your kids' toys in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do your taxes in the name of the Lord Jesus. I know it's not tax season, but that's what came to mind. Drive your car in the name of the Lord Jesus. Cook your meal. Wash your dishes. All those things. This is not to over-spiritualize everything and act as though like, we're, we don't want to get weird about it. But to recognize that every area of your life has been touched by the name of Christ is to say now everything that I do is just an overflow of praise to him. Do you pray before you eat? We do, in a lot of cases at home, you know, in order to instill discipline in our kids, you know, don't just sit down at the table and start eating like you're a dog. But also I find in those moments where there's an opportunity to take up the name of the Lord my God in vain and just say, Lord, thank you for this food, thank you for sunshine today, amen, let us eat. That's vanity, that's emptiness, isn't it? But if you could stop for a second at the kitchen table today and say, hey, let's pray, and look at your four-year-old and say, put your fork down. Look at your one-year-old and say, spit that food out. Just kidding. Don't say that. But to just say, hey, stop. Before we just dig in, let us look to the Lord. Let us lift up the name. Let us make great the name of Christ in our midst before we enjoy this food. Whatever that thing may be. We can now pray the Lord's Prayer well at the beginning when Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Last thing here, Acts 5, verse 40 through 42. I love this story of the apostles. I love the beginning of the book of Acts because there's just, 
no fear. There's just no worry. There's just, just Jesus. That's it. And so in the end of chapter 5, when the apostles have been arrested and for proclaiming Christ and they're being released, it says, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. How would you walk away from that? Oh my goodness, I just paid quite a cost for telling other people about Jesus. I need to really value it in my life. I need to figure out whether I really value the name of Christ so much or if there's something else I can do with my life. It says the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, the Christ is Jesus. They counted it joy that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Why? Because Christ suffered dishonor for bearing the name of his Father, and so shall we. Hey, this week I want to challenge you to reread this passage and prayerfully ask the Lord to build up your relationship through lifting up his name to empower your testimony and to unite you more deeply with other brothers and sisters in Christ through the name of Christ. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father, as we come to communion now, what a great way to respond to any time we look at your word, to just take a moment and say, this is what Christ has done for us. And just like I just said, we shouldn't just rush into our meals sometimes. We don't want to rush into communion either. We don't want to rush into thinking about what Christ has done so that we could rightly bear the name of the Lord our God this morning. Help us, Lord, as we share in communion together to think on the weightiness of your name, of your character, of your nature, of your goodness, of your works to us in Christ, to save us from hell, save us from your wrath, and to bring us into that steadfast love and faithfulness. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.